Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. God's Word and go with me to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. So as we come into this Christmas season, man, it is always a wonderful time. In fact, we've heard Andy Williams, you know, sing for decades about how it's the most wonderful time of the year. And you know, it's hard to argue with that, to be honest with you, right? With all the trees and the decorations and the special events, like tonight, tonight from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. at our East Campus, is our children's uh, Christmas walkthrough event, interactive event called One Starry Night. You don't want to miss that. Uh, it's going to be a special time for your children. Or like our special family Christmas service coming up in two Fridays on um, December the 14th. We call it a fireside Christmas here at South Campus. All right, 6.30 p.m. Your entire family will love it. You don't want to miss it, okay? Invite your friends, neighbors, everyone. There'll be a mailer going out to the community about a 10-mile radius around our church building here, inviting folks. But word of mouth is really powerful to invite people as well to come and to experience that, okay? But on top of the trees and the decorations and the special events are all the family get-togethers, the fun that families have with Santa Claus, and of course, the presents wrapped under the tree. Anybody here like presents? <laughs> I see a few hands. I see a few hands there, right? It all adds up to the being the most wonderful time of the year. But for those who know Jesus Christ, for those that know Jesus, all of that holiday tradition is just the tip of the iceberg, right? For those of us who know Jesus, there is a much, much deeper meaning in Christmas and a much, much greater joy because we who know Jesus, we understand that Jesus is indeed the reason for the Christmas season. We understand that without Christ, there is no Christmas. And that, y'all, Christ is what really makes Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, it's absolutely thrilling. It's thrilling because in the birth of Jesus Christ, in the birth of the Christ child, we have the birth of hope. A hope for the lost to be found. A hope for sinners to be saved. A, a hope for the world to be redeemed. And so the day we begin our Christmas series that we're calling The Thrill of Hope. And this morning, we focus in on hope foretold as we turn our attention to the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53. So I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. Today we're going to take the entire chapter here in Isaiah 53. This is God's word revealed to us. This is God's word revealing what was going to happen hundreds, thousand years. Hundreds or a thousand years before it ever happened, okay? Here's what the word of God says. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
We've esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our uh, iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. He has put him to grief, I should say. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper him in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word here today. And I ask God that your word would do what only it can do. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may it open eyes, open hearts, and change lives. That's what we want you to do today, Father. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice who has yet to repent and believe on Jesus, we pray today would be the day they would see their sin, they would hear the Savior calling them, and they would say yes in repentance and faith. It's in Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Grab your seat. We know that was a long passage, but we wanted to get it all in. And some of you may be thinking this morning, Now, hold on a minute, preacher. I thought you said this was Christmas, right? What a strange choice for a text this morning. I thought you were going to talk about Christmas. Didn't you mean like Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9? And I would say to you, certainly those passages are fine and irrelevant texts to preach at Christmas. They are indeed hope-filled for telling the the, the birth of Jesus, the circumstances of his birth, the, the, the person of his being. But when we really get down to it, When we really get down to the nitty-gritty, our hope is not really found in the virgin birth. Our hope's not really found in that baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Our hope is ultimately found in grown-up Jesus, big Jesus, dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. That's why Isaiah 53 is the perfect text to help us see how great of a hope was foretold so here's today's takeaway here's what i want you to walk out with hope in christ as you look through the cradle to the cross hope in christ as you look through the cradle don't forget the cradle look through the cradle to the cross and our text helps us to see how to do that by helping us see four truths about jesus the christ this morning first you need to understand that the Christ was completely combined God and man the Christ was completely combined God and man now every year at Christmas we always celebrate the birth of Jesus which highlights his humanity he didn't just appear in the sky and come down out of heaven like an angel or something 
No, he came to the world pretty much the same way that all human beings come into the world. He grew in his mama's belly, Mary's belly, for nine months. And then she gave birth to him. He was like every other baby. But in another sense, he wasn't like every other baby. Right? Isaiah 53, verse 1 and 2 hints at this. It says, Who was or who has believed what, what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. Yeah, this baby was going to be born and it was going to grow up like every other baby, but this baby's birth would particularly reveal the arm of the Lord. Do you see that there in verse 1? The arm of the Lord. That means that there's going to be something miraculous about this baby. Right? The arm of the Lord points to the strength of God. And indeed, in the birth of Jesus, God's arm, his strength was revealed in miraculous ways, numerous ways surrounding the birth of Jesus. He was conceived in a virgin's womb. Angels came and sang about his birth. And a special star shone in the night sky for weeks, months, maybe a couple years. This long period of time after his birth. But perhaps the greatest way that God's strength was revealed in Jesus is that he completely combined God and man in Jesus Christ. You see, in that manger lying there, that baby wasn't just a baby. Scripture tells us that he was Emmanuel. Literally, God with us in the Hebrew. God with us. If you remember after Mary became pregnant with the Son of God, an angel visited her fiancé Joseph, who upon hearing that his fiancé was pregnant, he got a little upset, right? Y'all remember that? He, and rightly so. But this angel comes to him and tells Joseph this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Baby Jesus was God incarnate. Fully God, yet fully man. And it's this complete combination at the cradle that set up Jesus for the work on the cross you see, it took a God-man to live the life that you and I cannot live and to die the death that you and I deserve. You see, it took a God-man to earn heaven for us and to pay hell for us. It took a God-man to endure the wrath of God and to save us from our sins. That's why we look through the cradle to the cross and find hope in Jesus. Second this morning. As we look through the cradle of the cross, we find hope in the fact that Jesus was beautifully ordinary. <laughs> he was beautifully ordinary. Now, that may sound a bit oxymoronic to you this morning, but it is a beautiful thing. It is a hope-filled thing that Jesus was ordinary in appearance. Look at verse 2 and 3 here in our text. Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3. 
the word of God says, he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's telling you and me that Jesus would have never graced the cover of GQ magazine, right? He, he would not win any beauty contests. He would not be a bodybuilding champion, be the, the gold medalist, right? He, he wouldn't be the man who would get the leading role in the big next blockbuster movie. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't walk down that red carpet with paparazzi pop, 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 shooting pictures everywhere. He couldn't dunk a basketball and score 50 points. Right? He, he couldn't throw a touchdown right to the back of the end zone and catch it in bounds and all that stuff. Right? He, he, he couldn't, he couldn't um, hit for the cycle and include that grand slam home run. Right? He, he wasn't a master of the piano or, or a virtuoso on the, on the guitar. He wasn't famed for his paintings or his compositions. I'm saying all that to say this. There was nothing physically that would attract us to him. Nothing. There was nothing outwardly appealing about him. His beauty was ordinary. He was beautifully ordinary, which means that he can relate to people like you and me. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus didn't come to just save the elite. Jesus didn't come to just be the savior of the glamorous or, or of only the famous. No, Jesus came to be the savior of every man, including the most common among us. You know, in just a couple of months, February 2nd, uh, I'll turn 39 years old. And 20 to 30 years ago, man, I never saw my life being where it is right now. I mean, I had so, I mean, I was, I, I was going to play in the NFL, I was going to be an NBA star, or I thought I'd be a rock star playing out the sold out arenas, or I'd be traveling the world, man, living the high life. I mean, I thought I'd really be somebody, right? I thought I'd be famous or whatever else. I thought that everybody would be saying the name Ben Simpson. But as I near 40, it turns out that I'm quite ordinary. I'm quite ordinary. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my life. God has given me a good life, but it is nevertheless ordinary. Got any ordinary people here this morning? You know what I'm talking about? And praise God. That Jesus took ordinary humanity like mine and he came to save ordinary people like me. Guys, that means that he came to save ordinary people just like you. He was beautifully ordinary. Yet in his day, he was despised. He was rejected. As our text says, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Indeed, this ordinary man experienced an extraordinary death. It was gruesome. I mean, turning this ordinary-looking man into something that people couldn't even bear to look at, the Scripture says here. He became as one from whom men hide their faces, the text says. He was despised. We esteemed him not. In fact, Isaiah 52, verse 14, says that his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind you see beloved through his suffering leading to the cross this beautifully ordinary jesus became grotesque 
He became disfigured through the beating, through the mocking and the crucifixion and having the sins of the world placed on him. Yet in this ordinary to ugly even, Messiah, we find hope as we look through the cradle to the cross. Third, as we look through the cradle to the cross, we find hope in the fact that the Christ was our merciful substitute. That's the bulk of what we read here in Isaiah chapter 53. This is the crux of where we find our hope. You see, Jesus was born to die. And not for himself, but in our place. He is our substitute, both the sacrifice and the scapegoat. Now, you're likely familiar with the idea of a sacrifice. But the Bible when he set up the way that they would worship and the way they would atone for sin and all the things with the people of Israel, God set up not just the sacrifice, but in Leviticus 16, he also set up the ritual of the scapegoat. How many of you guys are familiar with the idea of the scapegoat? We, maybe you use that in, in, in everyday language, like I'm not going to be his scapegoat. Maybe you use, you use words like, well, that comes from the Bible here. Listen to what we read. You see, one goat... God said, one goat, get two goats. He told Aaron, that the first priest of the people of Israel, take two goats, one goat I want you to kill and offer as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But the other one was to be presented alive. We read this, Leviticus 16, 21 and 22. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. You see, the sacrifice and the scapegoat go hand in hand. Because one goat died, the other goat carried away the sins of the people. And I say to you this morning, Jesus is both the sacrifice and our scapegoat, right? He is our merciful substitute. We read this of his personal innocence here, here in verse nine, Isaiah 53, verse nine. Isaiah 53, verse nine, he was personally innocent. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. That tells you and me that Jesus did not die for himself. He did not die for his sins. So why was he put to death? Well, verse 4 through 6, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 tells us, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. For whose transgressions, church? Ours. And he was crushed for whose iniquities, church? Ours. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And we, all like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And listen to this. And the Lord, just picture this scapegoat right here. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all beloved that means that jesus died in our place so that we don't have to he was crushed for 
our iniquities, our transgressions. Jesus died so that our sins could be carried away from us into the wilderness, never to return. All of the sins were placed on his head, and he bore them on the cross, paying the penalty for his sin, or for our sins, and by his stripes we're healed. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. If you noticed a moment ago in the baptism video, it wasn't just grown-ups, it was children too, right? And it wasn't just children, it was grown-ups too. I told you last week that the Robertsons this day are at their brother's church because as a 70-some-year-old man, he just trusted Christ, right? Amen, that's awesome. That means it's never too late. That means that, that Christ is still in the saving work no matter how old or how young you are. Every man, woman, boy, and girl who hears this news and receives this news in repentance and faith will be healed, will be saved. That's why what we're going to do next Sunday is such a big deal. Next Sunday is our annual March to the Manger. It's our annual day to receive the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And every penny that you give next Sunday will go directly to help our Southern Baptist missionaries around the world to get the good news of Jesus out to peoples who have never heard it who have never heard it. Now that may seem strange to you because where you live, you can't walk a hundred yards without tripping over a church. But those that study these things, they estimate that over two billion people, let me say that again, two billion people on planet Earth have never even heard the good news of Jesus Christ. I didn't say they haven't believed yet. I said there are two billion people on planet earth who have not even yet heard that Jesus the Savior came as the baby in the manger and grew to be the Christ who died on the cross and rose again. They've not even heard it. That's 25% of the world's population today. They haven't even had the chance to reject Jesus because they've never heard. And listen to me very carefully. If they never hear, they can never receive Jesus. And if they never receive Jesus, their eternity is hopeless. Their eternity is hopeless. Not because they never heard, but because they will die in their sins and separated from God and will receive what their sin deserves. And I say to you, just to remind you next Sunday morning and to to encourage you for next Sunday morning through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we get to directly fund the missionary effort to get Jesus out into the world, into a world that needs Jesus. They need to know that Jesus died as their merciful substitute. They need to know know that their, their sins were placed on the head of Jesus and paid for. They need to know that if they'll repent and believe on Jesus, they will be saved. But you know what? We don't have to go all the way around the world to find people who have not heard about Jesus. I guarantee you, guarantee you, you could go out here today somewhere in Bowling Green 
And there is someone who has never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. I promise you, especially in Bowling Green, with the international community coming in. But you know what? We don't have to go over there or, or, or out in the community here in Bowling Green to find someone who has never heard the good news and who has not received Jesus. There are people in this room. You have heard the good news, yet you have never repented and believed on Jesus, right? You've heard the good news, yet you are still, for whatever reason, rejecting Jesus. I want to plead with you this morning. I want to plead with you this morning as we look through the cradle to the cross. Christ came and took on flesh that you could be saved. And Jesus grew, as all humans do, and this God-man, 100% God, 100% man, went to the cross and died that you could be saved. Don't reject the grace of God that has been given to you. He died as your merciful substitute. I plead with you this morning, if you have not yet trusted Christ, trust Christ today. Trust Christ today and be saved. And as we do all this, we don't do this in like, ah, I don't know what, I don't know if anything good will come out of this. No, no, we do this with hope on top of hope. Because number four today, as we think about looking through the cradle to the cross, here's the final truth I want you to think about as you find joy. Here it is, the Christ received an abounding reward. You know what that means? That means that Jesus Christ and his work will not be for nothing. It will not return void. We see it in verse 10 through 12 in our text, Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. And here it is, listen to this church. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. In other words, when he dies, many will be saved. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Listen to this. Shall the righteous one, my servant, here it is, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I'll divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's why it said earlier there in Isaiah, verse 7, that when he was oppressed and he was afflicted, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't fight it. On the cross, he could have called down a myriad of angels to take up the battle for him, but he was silent as a sheep is silent before his shearers because he knew that on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the cradle on the cross was reward, was great reward that's what we read in hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2 to wrap up this morning therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us looking to jesus here it is the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy What was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew going into it, it wasn't going to be defeat. Victory was his. And indeed it is. It was for the joy. The joy of the Father saying, well done, my son. 
and the joy of seeing us and all who repent on belie- and, and believe on Jesus, the joy of seeing all of us come to heaven with him. What joy, what joy, what joy. Albert Simpson writes, wrote a poem called The Cradle on the Cross. I want to close with that this morning. It says this, it says, When Bethlehem's manger first cradled the king, and angels' glad news to the shepherds did bring, the blackness of midnight beamed like the sun as God gave to mankind his wonderful one. But when on the cross as Jesus died, with nail-pierced hands and his spear-riven side, the brightness of noonday was turned into night, and men smote their breasts in the sorrowful sight. Yet Bethlehem's cradle and Calvary's hill were all in the plan of God's infinite will. The cross and the manger were made for this king in heaven before his praises will sing. Today, Christ, the light of the world, will come in and cleanse any heart from its midnight of sin. His presence will banish the darkness of night and brightens the soul with his heavenly light. All hell then, Jesus, our Lord evermore, as men of all nations, the Savior adore to Bethlehem's infant to Calvary's king our deepest devotion and homage we bring here's my final prayer may the cradle thrill you this Christmas because it led to the cross hi there this is Pastor Ben I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, 
death and resurrection and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.